You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk with Dominic Dorfmeister about Tanstack Query, open source, and so much more. Dominic is a front-end tech lead at Adverity and one of the core maintainers of Tanstack Query. Dominic, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm glad to have you here um, as well because this is just, you know, Tanstack Query is something that has exploded in popularity, as I don't, sure, I don't have to inform you, uh, from something that was just sort of a cool little utility announced in, what was it, 2019 to now being, I think, maybe one of the, if not the most used data uh, you know, retrieval and sort of management applications in at least the React ecosystem and now beyond. So to get us started, can you maybe let our listeners know how you got involved in this crazy journey? Like where in this process did you get involved and how did you become like a core maintainer of the uh, of Tanstack Query? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I think it was around 2020, summer of 2020, when at that Verity, we were still using, I think what everybody was, was doing at the time, I think either fetching a news effect or um, putting data into Redux, like as like data that comes from the backend. And we were looking for a different um, library that would help us do this more efficiently. We're actually, the first use case we had was something about optimistic updates or something like that. But somehow we stumbled upon React Query. We were already using React Table from Tana at the time, which worked very well for our tables. So we said, yeah, let's give this a shot. This is very well maintained, um, at least all the other work that Tana has done. And it, has a, it already had a community around it. So we looked into this and we were delighted and started to use it regularly. And... I then started to maybe do like one little fix on the typings of React Query. At the time, they were still written in JavaScript and they had separate typings. So I thought, yeah, um, this is not quite right and I can make a PR and I was kind of afraid. But at the same time, if you just make a PR to the typings, you know you won't affect the runtime at least. At least that was my, my thinking. So I thought I can't ruin that much if I make that PR, my first open source contribution uh, somewhere in 2020. And... From there, it just it just got going. I joined the the Discord, the Tanstick uh, Discord server, and um, I said, "Yeah, I just want to you know give a little bit back, uh, help people, maybe ask, answering questions." And I did have a bit of extra time because you know it was uh, pandemic, lockdown, everything. There wasn't much else to do, so I started to hang around on Discord and Stack Overflow and answered some questions on this. And this kind of got me going into it. Um, every question that I answered, I had to kind of look up then the source code, how it works. And that got me very deep into it up to a point where I knew a lot about the library so much that I actually thought, okay, I can now make like maybe a pull request to a, a bug fix or a feature. And then it got rolling from there. And at some point Tanner said, hey, you, you can basically have like um, making you a maintainer and you can, you can merge those things yourself. That's so exciting. And I love that one of the consequences of TypeScript sort of taking over all the development ecosystem is that people used to say a good way to get introduced to open source or a particular open source project was contributing to its documentation. And now we have this extra pathway, which is to say, hey, you know, help contribute to the typings uh, where appropriate. Please check with your 
with your local open source library if they're open to type uh, suggestions. That can sometimes be a vector for abuse, but uh, glad to hear that that worked out for you. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting is you've written about this before and, and spoken about it before as well, but another popular library that was available at the same time that your team was maybe playing around with React Query was, of course, Apollo. Um, and I'm kind of curious, you know, not necessarily to say why is TanStack Query better than Apollo, but when, when you were maybe looking at that, what were some of the reasons why that wasn't something that your team was looking at? Or, or I should maybe say, you know, why was React Query or TanStack Query uh, perfect for your team at that time? Yeah, this is um, very easily answered because just we basically we didn't have GraphQL. So that was, we had like, I think this is something that the story that many people can maybe relate to from when you have a product that's already out there. We, we even have a, like backends that are not in, uh, in Node.js. So we have some uh, Django backends and we also have some um, Java backends. And we were just building frontends for them and they were all just giving us REST APIs. And we briefly talked about like maybe adding GraphQL on top, but we didn't have the experience and we didn't have the experience in the backend as well just to do that. And then we said, okay, look, this actually, it, it, it works well from a data fetching perspective. We don't really have the problems of overfetching or, um, you know, not fetching um, enough. So we um, looked into what's, what, what can we do with keeping our REST APIs the way they are and see if there's a library that can just help us on the front-end side of things. That's mainly where I was involved and where we tried to um, make things better. I love that part of the story. Yeah, that's 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 what I had, uh, had read. And I, I like that because I feel like we're having this again. I think GraphQL, a lot of teams felt a lot of stress that they felt like that's where everybody was going. So people felt a lot of pressure to maybe consider rewriting their backends um, to conform to that. I think nowadays uh, with the success of TRPC and any number of additional sort of RPC-like technologies and libraries that are coming out, I think there's equally a lot of pressure um, on teams to, you know, be on the cutting edge of what people consider to be best practices. And I think it's, I, there's just something very liberating and exciting about a team saying, listen, we have APIs that work, they, <laughs> it works for our use case, it gives us what I what we need, it works in a predictable way. And through libraries like TanStack Query, we have very efficient and effective ways to interface with it. So that's good enough have, for us. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit that I that I did get like the fear of missing out when everybody was using GraphQL and then they said, now Redux is dead because we have GraphQL and all these kinds of things. And I was like, well, we don't, why don't we have GraphQL? Like, can we do something new with GraphQL? And this was, I did get some pushback mainly from, from, from backend and from uh, leadership to like, you know, if there isn't a problem that it actually solves for us right now, we're not going to invest into this whole big uh, re-architecture or architecture on top of it. So we just didn't do that. And right now I'm super happy about the way where we are because we've also now gone uh, the way of TRPC. So we've started um, a new project with Next.js and TRPC and, you know, we can still use the existing, um, you know, even um, like microservices APIs that we have. And we just call them from our TRPC router in the backend, but all the communication on the front end now is um, in this extremely type safe manner while we still get all the user experience from uh, tends to query that is used by TRPC under the hood. So that's a um, yeah really good situation to be in right now. It's super interesting because um, one of our developers was just sharing today about a new library. I think it's called Telefunk, like for func for function, which is another yeah. RPC like uh, framework that's sort of coming up. And 
I just, I feel like I can sense when, when TRPC was announced that there's a lot of developers that have been around for a long time that remembers when RPC was, was, was far more popular as just a generalized framework. And then we moved away from it towards rest. And now it, you know, people are like, oh, here we go again, tech bros reinventing, uh, you know, RPC. But what I love about these types of things is just like with next with uh, remix, when we're moving back now to a more server centered model of development, it's not a capitulation. It's a sort of rediscovery with, with learned, with new learnings. And so, you know, I, I like this idea that a lot of teams were using Redux as you were doing, or like an Angular world NGRX with effects that were trying to abstract business logic that often was wrapping APIs. And they're saying, let's just go one step further now and just sort of formalize that abstraction on both sides of the fence and kind of get some benefits on both sides of that. To me, I see this as an evolution of what we've been doing as best practices. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm all in on it at all, but I, I'm very excited to see it develop. I don't know what your early yeah. experiences have been or if you feel the same way, but. Yes, I'm, I'm, I think it's always either like a circle that you just come full circle or it's a pendulum that swings in, in either direction. I think it's the same when people say, well, with React Server components, we are now basically reinventing PHP again or all the things that we've done like a long time ago. Yes, maybe to some extent, but now we are taking like the good parts from what we had back then and we just throw away all the bad parts and replace them with what we've learned in the meantime. So it always, the pendulum always swings back to, to where it was. Now it's swinging back again to the server side of things, but in an improved way. And it's not like we could have said, well, we can just skip that iteration, right? You can just say, okay, we, 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 10 years ago, we should have just done what we are doing right now and skip this whole render everything on the client um, you know, cycle of, or, or, or side of the coin, because it is necessary to actually advance and then come back to where you've been with the new set of eyes, maybe. Absolutely. Jumping back to 10 stack query now, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but the library is only what, not even quite four years old at this point. And, uh, yet it is really taken off. I think it went from being something that was like a well-kept secret to being something that was like pretty popular in the React community to now being in such demand that people are asking, hey, can I use this in Solid? Can I use this in Vue? Can I use this in, you know, whatever other framework? What do you think? Do you have a sense of what it was that just sort of resonated with people when they use this? Is it is it just the ease of the API or was it solving a problem that nobody was really hitting head on? Like, do you have a sense of what's really caused this thing to take off? Hmm. I think it's so I can at least say for um, from my perspective, it was solving a problem better than the other solutions that existed at the time when it when it came out. And there are still probably lots of applications that are not using it. And every time I read on Twitter, people rediscovering um, React Query or discovering it for the first time and how overjoyed they are with like the little amount of code that they have to write and the great developer experience plus user experience on top of that. You're not compromising between the, the two of them. It just combines the best of both worlds and gives it to you as a developer and to your users. And the mindset that you have with the declarative approach of data fetching, where you basically just define the, the, the query key and the function and as, as, as dependencies to the function, 
just is a bit of a different approach than what we what we used to do. And this kind of is once you once you understand that it kind of unlocks a big potential of building custom hooks on top of them that maybe you know also automatically read the parameters from the URL. And every time you do a navigation, you automatically, or you maybe you search for something, you put the search string into the URL, it automatically starts to fetch for you without you having to think about, oh, if I click this button, I want to trigger a fetch. And then if I you know, um, submit this form or click this link, I also want to trigger a fetch. It just kind of takes this imperative approach of data fetching away into a more declarative approach, similar to how React did it with the whole rendering approach. And yeah, this is something that um, was kind of new at the time, maybe, I think. And the other part of adoption that I've seen relatively lately was really when um, the whole discussion about use effect started to take off. I mean, use effect got a lot of, um, let's say, <laughs> bad negative press feedback, <laughs> bad press. Yeah, so there was like... Um, you don't need use effect and get rid of use effect. And um, yeah, it's a big foot gun and it is in many situations, but I've also had this like challenge on Twitter, like show me your use effect and I probably can get rid of it because many, many use effects are not needed. And in fact, the new beta docs of the React.js documentation have an extensive page on, you might not need use effect. And it, I think it's, it is, it's very long. It has like eight or 10 points on if you have this situation and you're thinking about making a use effect, here is something better that you could do and you don't need it. And people got really into the situation where they've burned themselves so much with use effect that they really appreciate every library or every tool that can help them write fewer effects. And React Query is pretty much on the top of the list in that regard, because in the one of the biggest po um, like portions of effects that you've written are probably around data fetching. I think the second one is probably something with refs or with the DOM or something, but the like the most important one for most apps is probably around data fetching. It's really true. Um, <clears throat> you know, hopefully they, they add an equally verbose page for you might not need that use memo and use callback as well. <laughs> Other ones that I see uh, used uh, in some cases very unnecessarily. But, uh, you know, one thing that I, you know, I, I agree with everything that you said. I, I think beyond that too, it's that there was a lot of conversation maybe a year and a half ago <clears throat> around X state and state machines. And a lot of times they use the example of exactly kind of what uh, Tanstack Query does with some of its uh, you know status updates in the way that it helps you track the life cycle of, of fetching to the server. And I think that people were really kind of maybe hand rolling their own stuff. And in a lot of cases falling into a lot of, uh, you know, pitfalls or tricks along the way. And what I like about uh, query is that it sort of brings you in simply at the beginning, and then you just keep learning, oh, it can do this. Oh, it can do this. And as you learn those things, you can just add it to what you have rather than go, oh, I now need a new library that does this, or I need to come up with a solution for this. And I think it's that fact that it doesn't force you into all of the complexity up front. Um, but sort of lets you discover it over time. That's been very effective because I'm sure people, you encounter people all the time that use this at a very surface level, very basic rudimentary fetching and, and caching. And I'm sure you've probably talked to people that have some of the most convoluted um, versions. I mean, maybe now coming up soon, offline models of, 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 of approaches and 
you know, that's very powerful when something can flex that way without having to sacrifice too much for either the power user or the novice user. That, that's a tough little part in the middle to thread there. I don't know it how is, you guys yeah. are managing to do that, but... Well, if you look at the at the API surface of React Query, it's not it's not exactly like very very small, right? I think we have about I don't know twenty options that you can pass to use Query, and it also gives you like twenty an, an object with twenty properties back. So there is lots of things that you that you can customize or that you can really like hook into if you need to. But as you said, the good thing is that most of the time you just call use query, pass it a key and a function, and that's it. And you can stop right there and you get back the data and the status, the, the two things that you probably care about. And then you do a little bit of like checking on the status and then you render your data and then boom, it works. And you get a very good experience with the default behavior that comes with React Query. So again, a, a, an easy way to get started but then as you as you progress and you might come into situations, oh, I want to like refetch until a certain condition is met because I need to kind of this polling of my API until it's done, I don't know, generating something or whatever, right? Um, then you get into, okay, how can I do this? Do I need to like do something for this? And then you find out that React Query actually has an option that does exactly this. So you, I hope you find it out, right? Otherwise you can just come come to the Discord channel and ask me and then we'll figure it out together. That's great, yeah. Um, you know, 2022 was a was a big year uh, for for TanStack Query. Uh, you know, again, people maybe not realizing why we're saying that as much as opposed to just React Query, but um, it grew up and grew out uh, entirely of of just the React ecosystem to now sort of a broader ecosystem. And what's uh, fascinating about this isn't just that it happened, because I mean, as I said, I think people have been chomping at the bit for this because as developers are branching out and trying these new frameworks they have this amazing tool <laughs> in their toolbox that they want to take with them so i'm sure there's been a lot of excitement but my first question here is more around a blog you actually wrote about deciding which features go into an open source library one of the dimensions now is that your library is going to be used in entirely different paradigms now in in your blog you sort of talk about modular libraries or you know things like uh, Lodash or Ramda and things like that that really are kind of maybe universal utilities. Um, here you have a library that the problem is universal, but maybe the approach, at least at the beginning, was very informed by the sort of the intricacies of React and, and, and hooks and things like that. So can you describe now how that process of deciding where to evolve the library how that happens now when you're saying, well, but how would this play in Svelte semantics or how would this play in views semantics? Like, how do you even start to incorporate that now into your long-term planning? Yeah, it definitely didn't get easier, right? When you <laughs> when you add like four more adapters in, in languages or in, in, in frameworks that I don't have that much experience in. But thankfully, we have a great team of maintainers for all the adapters that know those uh, frameworks very well. And they also know the core of, of, of the query very well. And we are in constant collaboration about how we're going to change things for the better. It's also like one of the things that I've learned is that with version five that is hopefully coming out somewhere this, uh, this year, because we've just released actually two days ago an alpha version of version five, where we have changed the syntax a little bit to get rid of all of our overloads that we had internally. 
And this was also in part driven so that um, solid query can become better with their fine grained reactivity because that was difficult to do with the other overloaded versions that, that we had, or so I learned, right? I'm not, a, I'm not the expert on that, on that topic, but some things that we, that we did, um, they, were, they were also good for you know, maintaining the library in general, and they're also fine for React, but they're going to help other adapters um, maybe even more. So that's always something that we have to consider now. That's, that's true. But the core of React query or, or Tenstack query is in, written in pure TypeScript. I wanted to say JavaScript, but it's written in TypeScript. So you basically have like a query cache that's a class, and then you have a typical observer pattern where you have like listeners and they, they get updates. And this lives outside of all of the world of any framework adapters. And what we do there kind of is always like when, when we do changes there, it will generally work with all the adapters because it's the concept that's in the core that's behind it. And then when you look at all the adapters, they might have a little bit different syntax because some things work a little bit differently. And then there's these very framework specific things like suspense, for example. I think this works completely different in React than it works in Solid. I think they also have a concept of suspense. And that's something that we actually still have to figure out, especially the React part, because the way React is evolving around suspense and the new uh, use hook or the RFC for it that has been released, I think, last year is also going to, to play into this. And we have to kind of find out how are we going to keep our like own implementation of the cache and the things that we have, and maybe also let people use the newer things that are very React specific, like a React specific uh, suspense cache or the use hook that um, would then have different semantics than calling use query or something like that. So this is actually things that we're still trying to figure out. It's, it's, it's not that easy. <laughs> um, I think when, 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 when the use hook was first announced, it was kind of like people asked on Twitter, how will this work with React Query? When will it work? And I was like, we, we, I've just read this as well, right? We're just figuring it out as we go. We're not like, I didn't have a head start on this. Um, so we also have to, have to figure these things out as we go. But it might probably mean that at some point in time, the React API will become a little bit different, like a separate hook, maybe use suspense query or use React query that will then integrate better with the React specific parts. And then we'll have the normal use query that will um, like work as you as it as it as it does now without actually integrating that well with the new React paradigm. But that's still something you can use also for other um, adapters where you know it just works a bit more generalized with our own implementation of things. That's really interesting, and and I don't know if you stopped to think about it, but I've always I, what I found interesting about this development of being across platforms is there aren't that many examples of libraries, po extremely popular libraries that do this. Maybe Apollo was something that was maybe somewhat similar, but you know I've always thought of this idea of like the platform, the web platform itself, and then we have these frameworks on top of it. And it was true that big frameworks like React push back on the platform and force it to consider it as, as the platform changes because the platform can't move too far away from what works well with React and, and React tries to mirror what happens to the platform. And in a lot of ways, like libraries like React Query have that same relationship but with React itself. But what's super fascinating now is when you move into the center of all these different frameworks, you'll take up a pretty big space in sort of the, 
meta narrative or the development of this whole ecosystem, because in some ways you're constrained by each of the frameworks. You can't evolve too far beyond what they support. But at the same time, you have very happy, very committed users in each of those frameworks, and they have to kind of make sure that this approach to data fetching and data management is compatible with where they're trying to take things. Like, do you feel the weight of that yet? Or is is this still fledgling? Like, it just seems like we've taken now this data fetching piece and made it a first class citizen in this whole concept of meta frameworks and frameworks. Like, this is now a big enough thing that it kind of exists and sort of demands space on its own. I don't know if you feel that that's proper, if you feel that yet, but. Um, I, I don't yet at the moment because the, most of my thinking is still in React. Because when you look at the download numbers for the adapters, yes, they exist. And I think they, um, the solid adapter exists for a bit over half a year now, but it's not being used. I mean, if, you take, if, if you take a look at the numbers, it's like, um, like very big difference between how often the React query adapter gets used and how often the other adapters get used. So this is also, I think, something where you can see how much bigger React still is than everything else combined. Or maybe it's, it's also because maybe the other frameworks have better primitives that they don't need um, React Query that much. But from what I've heard, it's a very good addition also for Solid and for Vue and for Svelte. So I think maybe those frameworks are still in comparison to React a little bit smaller, but also gaining a lot of traction. So I think over time, this will naturally change or shift a little bit into a more equal situations. And maybe it will also, um, you know, help or not help, let me lead a little bit to React's demise at the, at, at the very end. Because if you, if you think about it, when you are a React developer, lots of things stay in React at the moment because there is so many innovation in it and because there are so many like patterns that you're used to working with. And if you take a look what the 10 stack provides, when you think you want to query data, you use React Query, then you want to display it in a, in a table and maybe add some virtualization. There's all these cool headless tools that come from the 10 stack. And when you switch to a different framework, you're like, okay, how do I do this now? Do those things exist? Is this something that I need to reinvent or do I need to relearn everything? It, because it, they, have, they have like maybe a different table library that works completely differently. But then you take a look at, okay, the same thing that I've already learned, the concepts behind it, they also are now transferable knowledge over to other framework frameworks themselves. So maybe a React developer will have an easier time trying out Svelte because they know they can use the table adapter from Tenstack Query and the, uh, from, from Tenstack Table and also the, the, the query adapter that exists. And then, you know, who knows, maybe this is, this will also like, drive a bit the adoption of other frameworks because people can get the technology and the tools that they're used to from React without having to rethink everything or, or relearn everything from the ground up. I hadn't meant to talk about this right now, but what you said really resonated with me and made me think of it again, which is to say that um, a question that the community has been asking recently came up during a panel that you were a part of. That question is, is React dying? And I find this question so fascinating because, um, you know, I, I participate in a lot of communities. So they've been asking if Angular was dying for the last seven years. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm also a gamer. 
And I feel like I often hear gaming communities a week after a new game come out ask, is this game dying? You know, because the initial launch day publicity has uh, sort of ended. But in, a, in an ecosystem where Ruby and Laravel and Spring Boot and jQuery and WordPress still dominate the ecosystem, or at least are huge players in the ecosystem, it just strikes me as humorous a little bit that uh, we would even talk about whether technologies are dying. But the reason that this came up in my head is um, you just mentioned like people maybe feel greater transferability between these frameworks. And I think I agree that you've seen these frameworks not agree in the minutia, but coalesce around some concepts that seem to be uh, touchstones for developers. And I'm wondering and I'm hoping that we will move, we will evolve beyond this idea that like I'm a singular dev and I hope my thing doesn't die because I put all my all my investment into it into a more of a model which is like I'm using React on this project, maybe I'm using Vue on this other project. Not that everyone will know everything equally, but maybe developers will feel less lock in at least in the JavaScript ecosystem. Do you think there's potential in that, or do we just like do we just like feeling doom and gloom and just we just want to ask? whether everything we have is dying. <laughs> so I, um, I I did follow up that panel discussion with a blog post on uh, um, with uh, and, and and I named it why React isn't dying. So I, I think um, I, I do think that React at this point is still too big to just go away. Or at least not right now, right? It might it might still take a very long time to get there. But I think we also have to like um, differentiate a bit between the Twitter bubble that you and I are, are probably also in and then maybe the real world, if you want, right? So people that are building, like companies building software every day and companies that are looking for developers when they see, okay, what is the one thing that most people know and where I can get good developers and that will also be, you know, still maintainable in, you know, the next couple of years, because I want my startup to survive, obviously, then they're going to see React. And everybody's using, everybody no, learns React for the same reasons. So developers learn React because companies are looking for them. And the companies are choosing React for their project or startup because it's good enough. And people know it. And it's like, you don't get fired for choosing React. You, you, you might bet on the new technology that will then fail or doesn't have the ecosystem or is not proven enough. There's a risk behind it. There is no risk in choosing React for a new project right now. And I think that's also why lots of people still do it. And what we are talking about is really just nuances of inconvenience for developer experience when it goes about, okay, we need to care about, you know, memoization or we need to care about performance or things like that or i want a better lighthouse score or i want this interaction to be super fast i've written a bunch of react applications with no memo and no use callback and all just functional components no pure components that re-render everything every time and it works in production for the last three years and it's super fine right there's not a single like incident that's performance related that i know of um so it's I think the things that we're complaining about are often just like the very, very top of the iceberg. And below that, you have a very solid, no pun intended, foundation of, um, you know, 
a, a framework that will just deliver because of its declarative approach to rendering that has revolutionized how we are thinking about um, at, yeah, tackling these problems. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, even if, even if the worst case scenario exists and uh, React or any library evolves to the point that it no longer serves your team, right? We talked about this at the beginning with, with your team in REST. Um, it's not that you wouldn't have been happy with a GraphQL and a backend or a TRPC backend, but you had a REST backend and it and it worked, and that was yep. that worked well. Uh, but if you know if React ever evolved to a point where it didn't fit people's use cases and it didn't work for their teams, what I love about this time that we're in right now is that we have a large amount of frameworks that aren't taking wildly different approaches to this. Like your skills are very transferable, and maybe it's the case that your team now more closely resonates with where solid is going. Um, and syntactically, it's really not that far from React. They're different what they're trying to do, but they're not syntactically that different. They're not conceptually that different. And that, that's my great hope for this era is that it'll be less of our identity will be tied to the one framework that we swear allegiance to and a little bit more, more flexibility maybe for, for us to say, okay, this is fitting my the use case. Because that was always the intention, use the right tool for the job. Um, it just happened to be that for a period there, we had a few tools that worked for, at least worked well for all the use cases. And now we're getting a more vibrant ecosystem. And I love that what y'all are doing, which is now sort of saying, okay, we're evolving with the times as well. We're a more generalized concept, a more generalized problem. So rather than be in one of the silos, we will help you make your skills be transferable because we might be able to come with you to whichever library, this new team or this new project or whatever it is, this new company you're working for happens to be using. And I just think that's actually actually very invigorating and very exciting about this time. A little bit less of the fear that my thing will die because at least yeah. I will still be able to carry on much as I was. Exactly. I, I, I do agree with that. We had like a, a time where there basically was only or mostly only React and there wasn't anything, there was no question on, on what you would choose. And now we're getting like, alternatives that look really, really interesting, but they still, even though they're slightly different and approach things from different angles, they are not so different that you can't apply your knowledge that you've already learned to it. And I think this is to, to, to a very um, you know, big degree also um, reacts doing because it kind of revolutionized the way how we build user interfaces and it kind of conceptualized the component driven development that you think in components and how you put it, how you separate your page not into your javascript your html and your css but your button component and your profile component and whatever you have right in a in a more of a of a vertical slicing and all of the frameworks that we see now are everybody's doing component driven development right you still see a button component and maybe it renders or re-renders a little bit differently because updates um, are more fine-grained or whatever it is that that will be will be newly invented um, maybe you have on-click handlers on a button that actually run on the server which i think is kind of like the the latest latest thing that's coming up but you know conceptually you still have components and you're still thinking in components when you're implementing your ui and that is to a large degree um, thanks to react yeah, and it's so wild. I think you know you don't have to be that old to have been a little bit before this paradigm shift. But uh, for people that are relatively newer developers, it might be hard to say well, what else 
what other kind of approach is there? And I worked in even Angular JS, you know, not that long ago, 2015 timeframe, and components still existed conceptually, but really you still thought more in terms of pages. Like you were trying to lay out a top to bottom page. Um, and maybe you had some reusable pieces, but it really wasn't the kind of component-based thinking that we have now where it was components all the way down. Um, you're absolutely right that that was a huge paradigm shift. And that's what I've seen as we've moved now back to uh, the server with Remix and and Next and all the others is that we brought components with us. We're, we're not necessarily going back to the way that we wrote PHP in the early 2000s. <laughs> Um, yep. Not that there weren't sophisticated ways to write PHP in the early 2000s, right? But a lot of us were just sort of laying out a page top to bottom. That was more the mindset we had. And even if we're statically rendering a single page, we're still conceptualizing it, encapsulating it in components. And, uh, you know, so exactly what you're saying. I, I, I do agree that that's part of the evolution of where we're going. And that will continue. Uh, at least for now, <laughs> in yep. this next round of, of frameworks. I haven't seen anybody sort of bucking that trend uh, in any of the stuff that's coming out right now. Right, yeah. So I think components are, yeah, components are here to stay. So at least for now. <laughs> We're breaking some news here. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what's coming up. As you mentioned, uh, as the time that we're recording this, it's actually the week that you just announced the uh, the... Tanstack Query V5 Alpha Zero uh, coming yeah. out. Um, and I know that there was a lot of uh, sort of like uh, proposals and things written up in the uh, announcement post or the roadmap post for it. Can you kind of give people a little bit of a, a preview of what might be coming up this year for, for Tanstack Query? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know that, or I think that many people expect a major version to have like major new features, but from a maintainer's perspective, um, I like I have to say that the major version is more for us to clean up mistakes that we've made um, or to change APIs where we now have better knowledge of when we introduce them. And this is certainly also happening with, with version five. There is one mistake that I've made in version four that has kind of, um, um, I would say, made some people a bit angry. Um, that we're going to kind of revert back uh, a little bit to uh, fix it in a in, in a way that um, it becomes more logical. So it's just something that I really missed in the API design. So it's um, you know um, not always easy to to see all the all the different angles that things can be used. But then you know there's this thing that I already mentioned. We're going to remove all the overloads. There's going to be some like changes in the syntax that you can already use now in version four, but in version five, it's going to be the only available syntax that you can use. And we're already preparing people for doing that. So we have an ESLint plugin that will automatically transform these things for you. We will be delivering code mods that will automatically rewrite the code for you so that the transition phase will be hopefully very smooth, even though it's probably a big change for like, the amount of code that must be rewritten at the end of the day. But when it comes to when it comes to features, I think we've still managed to get a bunch of exciting things into the alpha release right now. One of them is a new way to do optimistic updates, which is something that people usually love to do because it will make your app feel even faster than it than it actually is because you're displaying values in the UI even before you've sent them to the server. And the way that you could do that in React Query right now is 
not wrong, but it's a bit verbose, right? So in, if you've ever done that, you might know that you might run this kind of mutation hook and then you have to, in an, in an unmutate handler, you have to wire up a bunch of things and update the value in the cache manually. And then if your request fails, you have to roll it back. So if you take a look at the example, I think it's kind of like 20 or so lines of code that you need to write for every optimistic update that you want to do. And if you like then want to make an abstraction over it, you need to get all the TypeScript things right. And this is kind of getting, getting a bit, uh, got a bit difficult. So we're going to have in version five an, an optional new way to do optimistic updates in an, in, a, in an easier fashion where this was mainly inspired by how Remix does it. And also I think Solid Start um, does it in that way that you just get access to the variables of the mutations that are currently running. And then you can just render them in the UI next to your list wherever you want to for as long as the mutation is going on. This also has some, some drawbacks, but we're going to have like two um, the, the two approaches can can coexist and you can choose whatever fits your situation best. That is exciting. And yeah, it is true. I guess you have to do the major version, even just for the overloads that you mentioned that you're going to be removing. So uh, not all of those big major versions have to come with ground shaking uh, uh, new, new uh, features as well. But, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned fixing some of the mistakes you made in V4, <clears throat> in V5. You wrote what I thought was a very thoughtful retrospective of React Query v4, um, an intense stack query v4, uh, in your retrospective about 2022. And, you know, without rehashing it too much, it seems like you did learn some hard lessons about large product <laughs> development and open source software and all these things. So I guess my question for you is, what do you think that you learned that you wish other maintainers and maybe even technical managers, not even just in open source, but in product development and, and product management, uh, what kind of lessons do you think that you maybe learned that you think that people shouldn't have to relearn the hard way? Um, and do you think that uh, we maybe have a gap in teaching people and training people how to do this kind of uh, development or you know planning and things like that? I think there's still some you know um, process that you have to go through. So some of the things you just I mean I can I can try to tell you what it was for me, but I still think that you just have to experience it for the first time. And I think lots of maintainers have made the um, mistake that when someone opens an issue or has a question and says, I need this feature, can I have this? And why doesn't this work with your library? And why can't I just do this little thing? You kind of, it, it does get to you, right? Even though you get like lots of positive feedback about how great the library is, then there's this one request that says, oh, this doesn't work. Um, What's the best way to fix this? I'm going to uninstall the library and stuff like that. And you kind of like start to feel bad about it, which you very likely shouldn't, right? This is not, you can't, you, you can't make everybody happy. That's kind of probably the, the, the most important takeaway to learn is that whatever you do, there will always be someone who doesn't agree with your decision. And just because they are very loud or very, um, you know, not nice, <laughs> I'd say sometimes, um, very rude that that doesn't mean that that they are right so in some situations I kind of feel like I got pressured into doing it because I knew it was possible yes we could add this API and then you start like if you want to make everybody happy and fulfill everybody's wishes you will start to create APIs that are so verbose or so overloaded or have so many flags um, like Tenor said before him uh, when he made a uh, 10 stack table 
in his talk last year in, in Amsterdam when he said um, he just didn't know what to do. He just like accepted everything and um, added more props to his to React table in, 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 in version five or, or, or six or something like that. Um, and then he had like 137 props that you could pass into this table and it was a complete nightmare. And at some point you have an API that nobody likes to use because you try to make everybody love it. And that's um, where, where things then um, are probably going south. So yeah, you have to accept that there will always be people that don't like what you're, what you're doing. And you still have to think about the majority of people when you're designing the APIs. And just when you're, when you're doing something new, you have to let it, let it sink in. Right. There is there is no way that at the moment when you think about an API or when someone proposes an API that works best for their use case, which is their right to do. Right. They have their use case in mind and they want to get the yeah. feature solved for their problem. But as a maintainer, you have to think about the bigger picture. You have to think about all the other users of your API and the uh, of your of your product and the future users as well. So giving it some time to to sink in and talking it over with other people is a, is, is a good idea. And I've even. Like um, um, I, I said that I'm not that I'm not, not that this is a good idea, but as an extreme version of this, I said, well, you could just, you know, release every new feature with an experimental underscore <laughs> like a prefix and then say, okay, like this is what I want to do. Is this good enough? And then let people try it out. And then maybe later in the next major version, like release it as a stable thing, just so that, that you know, you're, you're, you're happy about it. Um, this would be like an ex ex extreme way of it, obviously, but I still think it's, um, things cannot be easily reversed once you are in a situation where you have a big user base and you're releasing something new as a stable version, stable API. The only chance to basically fix that is to go to the next major version, which nobody really likes because it means a lot of, a lot of work for, for everybody involved. So, yeah. I, you know, what I like about that too is that <clears throat> I feel like in my career, some of the biggest mistakes of decisions I've made on what to build or what to focus on or how to build something came from a question that was phrased more like, well, why can't it do this? And if you find, if you say, if you set your bar at, I will do whatever I can't disprove, it will probably lead you astray more often than, like you said, you know, you had some people that didn't like the design of one of the APIs in V4. And they said, hey, I want it to be this way. And you didn't do it because you couldn't come up with a reason why not to do it. You did it because you came to believe that, yes, that's what we should do. And I feel like, I don't know if you agree that that may be the fine line there between when you're getting feature upgrades. It's like, yeah, give, let them make their best shot at convincing you and do your best job at being open to being convinced. But don't do it unless you're convinced. Don't just do something because you can't come up with a good reason why not to do it. Um, I think that way often leads to regret <laughs> or at least disproportionately leads to regret. Yeah, that's a very good way of thinking. Um, I think that's, that's something I'm going to, to, to steal from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, when we end, we like to talk about something fun and maybe something a little not technical. So I know recently you got to go on a skiing trip, uh, to extol yeah. the virtues of taking some time off. I don't know if you want to, uh, sell people on the idea of sometimes taking a break or uh, let us know, maybe uh, tease us a little bit with, with where you got to spend your, your free time and where you like to escape um, when the problems are getting just a little bit too complicated. Yeah. So uh, uh, because I'm, I'm living in Austria, you know, um, everybody goes skiing. That's right. We have the mountains. We, uh, uh, we, 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 we tend to do that. I've, I did it since I was a, a little child. So 
Um, now with my kids as well, first time after the pandemic, we actually got the chance to go skiing again. They also got a got a got a course and an introduction, and they loved it a lot. And I got the time to like also go go skiing myself, and I really enjoyed the because there weren't many people. I was really surprised because we actually had holidays. Um, my my oldest son is in school, so we uh, had to go during the holidays. And from what I remember, there's always millions of people, but for some reason this year there wasn't. Um, so I was like, it was we had great weather, great snow. We really hit the perfect the perfect storm, so to say, of um, of a of of a nice trip. And even though you said non technical. The funny thing is that um, because I took that time off, I had no laptop with me, obviously, but I still kind of occasionally thought about some APIs and things. And I got like a really good solution to a problem that I couldn't fix for like a long time. And I had to write it down on my phone and kind of uh, hope that the notes still make sense when I, when I come home. And they did, thankfully. So it's kind of like to get your mind to a, to a different state um, can also help you not only recharge afterwards, but it also might just get you into a situation where you see things completely differently. So I think it's it's always better to just take some take some time off or take a step back, uh, let things just go when you're when you when you when you when you feel like you're stuck with something. Can't agree more. You have that vacation time. If you do take it, uh, you will thank yourself and take as much of it as you can because. Honestly, I found I had the opportunity to take a two-week vacation, and uh, nice. the second week really made a difference, unbelievably. Like the first week, I just sort of unwound, but the second week, I was like healing, like on every level, mentally, spiritually, physically. Uh, so, if you have the time, definitely uh, take it. And uh, Dominic, I will not make you. Uh, uh, I will not tell you about the ski hills I grew up with in the Midwest of the United <laughs> States in Minnesota. These are. These were not mountains by any stretch of the imagination. It would make you cry for what, what we had to grow up with. But, uh, but if you have the opportunity to get out, definitely uh, you know, enjoy the slopes if you, if you are a skier. All right. Well, that is actually going to do it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web Podcast. And thank you to our guest, Dominic. As always, the conversation does not stop here. You can find Dominic on Twitter at TK. Dodo. Is that how you want to pronounce it? It's T-K-D-O-D-O. As for me, you can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tom. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. For all of your friends and you. Do-ba-do-do-do, yeah, query, yeah, query. Shout it, yeah, queries do. So come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.